All right, good morning once again. Now we are a little past time uh, for our Bible class this morning, so we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, but again, thankful uh, that you're here with us as we continue our study in the life of Christ. We're going to be in lesson number 53 this morning. So if you, if you have a packet, if you're following along with the, the material there, we're in lesson number 53. But if you were with us on Wednesday evening, we studied in lesson 52 uh, what is most often referred to as the good confession. So remember, Jesus has just fed the 4,000, and uh, now he is uh, traveling uh, with his um, disciples, you know, sort of staying clear of Galilee and the regions where Herod was in charge. And we saw him go to a couple of places. Uh, in particular, the last place that we left him off was in Caesarea Philippi, which is really north of uh, Galilee. So uh, north of uh, the, the Jewish um, land area, Palestine, however you want to think of it, is of Israel. So he's in Gentile territory. And we noticed that, again, that, um, you know, he asked that great question, you know, who do you say that I am? And, of course, Peter's the one who speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And we made mention that, you know, that is a question that we all have to answer. Uh, you and I have to answer it. Everyone in the world has to answer it. Uh, who is Jesus Christ? Uh, we can either, you know, we either believe what the scriptures teach about him or, or we don't. Right? And so we all have to make that, that good confession that, that Jesus is the son of God. And what we didn't really get to spend too much time on in that lesson was sort of the parts after uh, Peter makes that good confession. Because uh, Jesus, again, he said to Peter, you know, based on that, that confession that you made upon this rock, I will build my church and the gate of Hades will not overpower it. And, you know, I'm going to give you, Peter, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So we didn't get to spend too much time. Uh, on that, although we did speak to, you know, that that was a passage that, you know, the, that some, uh, you know, the Catholic Church takes to say that, you know, Peter was the first pope saying that, you know, Jesus was basically making, uh, you know, Peter in that moment the, the first pope that, the, you know, the, the, the church is being founded on Peter, which, of course, uh, we looked at the Greek words there for Peter and for um, that foundation, and notice that there were two different words there in the Greek. And so, you know, basically Jesus was saying, um, in essence, you know, based, uh, you're, you're Peter, you're a little stone, but based on that confession, I'm going to build my church upon, you know, this great rock, which that great rock represented uh, Peter's confession. Based on that confession, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades will not. Uh, overpower it. So that, that really was the, you know, the, the big thing that we wanted to take home was uh, that uh, Jesus was building, again, his church, uh, that, that one church uh, that he mentions. And, you know, Peter's going to have the keys to unlock. You know, what does that mean? What does that mean that, that Peter has the keys to unlock uh, the kingdom of heaven? Next chapter two, what happens? Preaching. Preaching. Uh, Peter's great sermon, right? And the, the church begins in Acts chapter two, right? The Jews are presented with the gospel 
and the church begins. That's when, you know, that 3,000 souls were saved that day, and the Lord was adding them to uh, his church. And who preached that sermon? Peter, right, Acts chapter 2. Well, then we go to Acts chapter 10. And this one we're not as familiar with, but does anyone remember what happens in Acts chapter 10? Peter's going to preach again, but not, not to the Jews, but now he's preaching to the Gentiles, right? And then a man by the name of Cornelius and his household. And so now the Gentiles have the, the gospel message preached to them. And so, you know, that, that's what, um, you know, Jesus meant by, you know, Peter, you're going to have the keys to the kingdom of heaven, right? Because he's unlocking the church to the Jews in Acts 2, and he's unlocking the church to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And again, he says, whatever you bind on heaven shall have been bound on earth, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Basically telling Peter, uh, you know, my word, uh, my, um, my commands, they have been... Um, they have been in heaven. They're in heaven, and now I'm giving you the opportunity to preach those things and to uh, put them in effect on earth in the church. And so, um, so a lot of great lessons that we could have uh, took time to study uh, from that lesson Wednesday evening. But now we're going to continue in on our, our thoughts here this morning in lesson number 53. Uh, we're going to be, I think, in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 and, uh, through 38 kind of conclude uh, some more thoughts in this same, uh, we're in the same context, we're on the, the same day uh, that, you know, Jesus again is with his uh, disciples there when they just make that confession. And so we're going to notice a few more things that Jesus is going to talk to them. And then we're going to conclude really this section of lessons on Wednesday evening when we look at the transfiguration, because that's going to happen directly after this. So let's, uh, let's notice what Jesus has to say here in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 31. It says, he, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Wow, so that's, that's a pretty uh, powerful passage right there. Uh, let's notice first, uh, notice first that in verse uh, 31, it says that the Son of Man must suffer these things. You know, focus in on that word must, right? Uh, why is it important to notice this word here? Right. And so this is a must, right? Jesus must do this. Um, and so uh, he's going to be fulfilling, he's going to be um, he's committed to completing what, you know, God sent him to do, right? And so, uh, but all, even, you know, we see that word must, but also notice in verse 32, that other word that kind of stood out to me, where it says plainly. He was stating the matter plainly to them. Remember, the, remember in our last lesson, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they came to Jesus and they said, show us a sign. Right? We want to see something from you, Jesus. And, 
now. Of course, then you remember Jesus right after that? He wouldn't give them a sign, but he said, the only sign I'm going to give to you was the sign of, of Jonah. Remember that? And you know, maybe to them that was a little confusing because uh, that sign of Jonah, as we pointed out, was in reference to his, uh, his death, burial, and resurrection. Right? As Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, uh, so Jesus is going to be in that tomb for three days and, uh, and eventually be resurrected. And so when Jesus told that to the Pharisees and Sadducees, that probably didn't make sense to them, right? Because they, uh, f first off, the, you know, his, his uh, death, burial, and resurrection hasn't taken place. And secondly, they hadn't been following Jesus enough to know uh, that he was teaching those things. And so those weren't stated plainly, right? His response to them wasn't plain. But here it says that uh, Jesus was stating the matter plainly about how he is going to have to suffer many things to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and that he's going to be killed, right? And after three days, rise again. So he's telling them these things plainly. Now, does that mean that they understand what he's saying to them? No, not really. No. So here we go with Peter again, right? Peter just makes the good confession. Uh, we see uh, him make that great statement of faith. But now he says, Lord, you know, may it never be. Actually, let's turn to Matthew 16 real quick because we didn't get the full uh, context of what uh, Peter said there in Mark. But let's, let's notice what uh, Peter says here in Matthew uh, chapter 16. <clears throat> so uh, starting in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. So again, Jesus has... He is, up to this point, he's hinted at his death, right? Um, we've, we've seen it a couple of times, all the way back in John chapter 2, uh, when he was said that, you know, just how the temple was going to be destroyed, that, uh, that, you know, the temple of his body would be uh, destroyed as well, but three days uh, be put back together. You know, they, they didn't understand what that meant. All the way in John chapter 2. In John chapter 3, when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and how he told them that just like as Moses lifted up the serpent, you know, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. You know, and he's referring to you know, going on the cross. But again, they didn't understand what he was talking about. And then in Matthew 12, we just mentioned how uh, the sign that he gave the Pharisees and Sadducees, the, the sign of Jonah. Again, they didn't understand what he was talking about. And so when Peter hears this, Right? When he hears Jesus speaking to them plainly about you know, having to be killed, about rising again, uh, about suffering many things, Peter takes him aside. Right? Peter, the Apostle Peter, brash, the, the brash Apostle Peter takes Jesus aside and says, May it never be, or God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. you know, one minute he says, You're the Christ. And now he's saying, listen, I'm going to tell you how to be the Christ, right? This is not going to happen to you. Uh, literally, what he's saying is mercy be upon you or God be merciful to you. 
Jesus says this must happen, right? I, I must uh, go to the cross. I must die, as Brother Eddie mentions, that you know, this is all part of God's plan uh, for the church to come. I must do these things. But Peter, in essence, is saying, mercy be upon you, uh, basically saying, listen, you don't have to follow God. Just ask for his grace. Just ask for his mercy. You don't have to do these things, Jesus. Uh, you don't have to go to the cross. And so it says that Peter is basically rebuking the Lord. Now, again, how arrogant can Peter be here? Uh, be, right, to, to rebuke the Lord. Um, you know, we, we might think that his, this uh, attempt to rebuke him is unfathomable. Uh, that he thought he knew more than the Lord in this moment. But, you know, I think all of us can kind of think times in our lives where, you know, we've been, we've put our place or put ourselves in the place of Peter, right? That, that maybe we know more uh, than the Lord uh, when it comes to uh, his word. So we can relate to Peter, uh, but. The human side, not what the right. Yeah. The, our, our human side of, of, you know, wanting to do what we want to do. But Jesus, of course, responds to him, get behind me, Satan. Right? So the, Peter rebukes Jesus, but, and Peter took him aside to do that, right? It says Peter took him aside. Maybe he didn't want to embarrass the Lord uh, when he said that. But now in front of all the disciples, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He refers to, him, refers to Peter as Satan. You know, he just called him a rock, and now he's calling him Satan. Um, why did Jesus call Peter Satan? Okay, he was trying to prove something that wasn't true. He was acting with the motives uh, that, that Satan would, move, would work with, right? Uh, we could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and think of, you know, or even Genesis chapter 2, when God gives, you know, Adam the, the command, right, to not to uh, eat from this certain tree. But then when we see in Genesis chapter 3, uh, the serpent, the, uh, Satan, you know, saying, you know, of course he doesn't really mean that, right? Uh, you know, he inserts the word no, uh, that, you know, God doesn't mean what, he's, what he said there, uh, let, let me read that to you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast in the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Right? And that's how Satan operates. Right? He's the deceiver. He, he's a slanderer. And, uh, and so we see here in this instance of Peter, you know, acting uh, like, you know, how Satan would act. Uh, Peter's saying, you know, or excuse me, Jesus says, this is what I must do. But Peter says, you don't have to do that. You know, just ask, just ask God for mercy. Ask God for grace. That was the human side. The human side of Peter, right? right. That we all deal with. Right, yeah. And so, um, again, Peter's main problem, Jesus points out, is that, uh, that he's got his... You know, he's got man's interests on his mind, not spiritual things, not God's interest. He was looking at the world through the world's lenses and uh, not as the scriptures teach us. You know, Matthew chapter six, verse 33, seek, 
you know, seek the kingdom above all else, right? Colossians 3, verse 1. Um, you know, again, seek the things that are above. And so, you know, we ask ourselves that question this morning. Do we have trouble looking at things through spiritual lenses? Or do we, you know, right? We're human, right? And so we, we, we mess up like Peter does as well. Um, and so, uh, but we notice that, you know, what else did Jesus call Peter uh, back in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23? Do you remember what he called Peter other than Satan? Sorry. Rock. Well, not rock, but close. Uh, you know, I guess you can kind of think of it as a rock, but, you know, if I were to walk and maybe stumble over it. He called him a stumbling block, right? Back in Matthew chapter 16. We can read that verse again, verse 23. It says, But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And so, you know, really, you know, to understand, you know, Christianity, you know, we need to understand the cross, right? And Jesus and Peter returned, um, to the other disciples as Jesus is speaking these things to him. And so uh, let's notice, I know our time is short here this morning, but let's, let's finish out Mark chapter 8 because Jesus has a lot more to say uh, now in the presence of all the disciples, uh, starting in verse 34. And it says, And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Okay, so the apostles... Of course, you know, they're struggling. They're struggling to understand what Jesus is telling them, uh, of course. And so he tells them these things. You know, this is, this is probably pretty tough for them to hear. It's, I know it's tough for us to hear, too, that uh, Jesus says that we need to deny ourselves, right? Deny ourselves to take up a cross and follow Jesus. He says that all there in verse 34. Verse 35, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Well, who wants to lose their life, right? And we'll talk a little bit more about what he meant there in a second. Verses 36 and 37, you know, again, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And then he says in verse 38, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, um, <clears throat> he will also be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. And so he, he mentions here the, the second coming. Uh, again, I'm going to jump back into Matthew 16. I should have had us put a, a marker here to jump back and mark it between Matthew and Mark uh, because Matthew gives us a little bit more information. Matthew 16, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his uh, kingdom. So there are just tons and tons of lessons that we can, you know, talk about 
uh, in this section of Scripture, uh, Jesus, you know, talking to his disciples. Often this is referred to as the cost of discipleship. Uh, as you read these verses, uh, number one, we must deny ourselves. You know, take up, take up his cross and follow him. Well, why? Why must we do that? Okay, he, he expects us, right, to be willing to serve him above anything, right? To take up that cross, take up his cross, our cross, uh, not, not Jesus' cross. Again, verse 34 says he must deny himself and take up his cross, meaning you and I, our cross, and follow uh, him. Uh, again, this is the, the meaning of true discipleship. Uh, we often teach, you know, what must I do to be saved? You know, that, that's a lesson that we teach a lot, and it's a valuable lesson. But how many times do we hear lessons about what must I give up? Do people like hearing lessons about what must I give up? They don't, do they? Do they? But yet, here Jesus is telling us there are certain things that we need to give up. We need to deny ourselves, take up his cross, and follow him. They says those who are ready to lose their life for Christ's sake will find it. Again, how does that apply to us? Is, is Jesus saying that we literally need to live a martyr's life, uh, or, or I guess a martyr's death, and to lose our lives physically? Is that what he's saying? Lose the old man. Wait, lose the old man? Lose the old man of sin. Okay, lose the old man of sin, as Paul says, and put on the new self. Right? Uh, again, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. You know, save your life. You know, uh, I think we're, we see here Jesus contrasting the physical and the spiritual, right? Those who want to save their life, meaning, um, you know, save their physical life, uh, collect as much as they can, and they're going to lose their spiritual life, Jesus says. Uh, but those who lose, their life spiritually or physically for my sake and the gospels will save it. Uh, Luke actually, uh, listen to Luke because Luke gives us, he gives us a word that we don't see in these other two. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And I'll give you a second to get there if you want to look at this. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So what word there did, did Luke insert? Okay. Daily. Yeah, the, the, the other ones don't mention that word daily. Uh, maybe it's implied in Matthew and Mark, but Luke uh, you know, he directly says we need to do this daily. Right? Take up our cross. What does that mean to take up your cross? Christian life every day. Okay. Not just on Sunday. Yeah. You know, a lot of us will maybe wear a cross on a necklace or something like that. Is that what Jesus means to take up our cross? No. No. What? Yeah. What does the cross represent? Okay. 
Yes, yes, to us it represents those things, but to those who were living in the first century, what, when they saw a cross, what did they think of it? Okay, persecution, uh, rejection, shame, right? Uh, when you went to the cross, you know, uh, you, you usually weren't clothed, right? It, it was a shameful thing to be put on a cross. And so, you know, I think that's one of the points that, you know, Jesus is teaching us here in these passages is that when we t- take up our cross and follow him, you know, the, the cross, again, uh, refers to, you know, rejection and persecution and shame and those things. It was a method of torture, right? And so um, when we take those things with us, right, when we take up that cross with us, you know, that's telling the world that, you know, we are ready to... Um, live a life like Jesus, right? That, that we're going to endure those hardships. We're going to endure those things. And we're not going to do it just on Sunday mornings. But Jesus says daily, we daily take up our cross and follow him. Uh, if I want to jump back into Matthew, sorry about that. My, Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. Uh, here we have Jesus really giving... Remember, he's speaking plainly, as he told us, but here he gives us the first clear prediction of the second coming of Christ. Again, verse 27 of Matthew 16, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Just, again, think of all the things that Jesus has laid on his apostles over, uh, over this day. All of those things and and how he was going to die, how he's going to be raised, and now that and now he adds that he's going to come back, right, and judge the world. He's going to repay every man according to his deeds. Would you be overloaded at this point if you were one of the apostles? That's a right. That's a lot to take in, especially now that Jesus is talking plainly to them. You know, he's really uh, letting them know. And so, um, and then uh, look at verse 28 there, uh, Jesus following his prediction of the second coming with another somewhat shocking prediction. He says, truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, again, uh, last uh, Wednesday, we talked about how Jesus said in a few verses earlier how he equated the, the kingdom of God with what? With the church, right? Uh, back in verses 18 and 19, I will build my church and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. You know, he equated, you know, the church with the kingdom there. Well, now he's saying here, Again, Matthew chapter 16, verse 28. There's some of you here standing here today who are not going to taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Well, um, was the kingdom, was the church established when Jesus spoke these words? No, but he says that there are some of those standing there today who are going to see the church, right? And of course, you know, we've already, I guess we already... I gave away that when we talked about that earlier, that the, you know, the church is going to be established in Acts chapter 2. You know, so uh, we're not too far away from the church being established, 
right? And he says there, again, there are some of those who are standing here today who are going to see uh, the kingdom of God established, right? He also says this back in Mark, uh, but we have to go to chapter 9, verse 1. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So, you know, there are um, denominations, uh, uh, churches who teach that, you know, the church has not yet been established. But yet Jesus says here that there are some of those standing in the first century who are going to see it. Right? That they're going to be a part of it. And we know that to be true because uh, we have uh, some uh, scriptures that tell us, especially Paul tells us in Colossians uh, chapter 1 verse 13... Uh, that for that Jesus in, uh, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So when Paul's writing this letter to the, the church in Colossae, he's now saying there is a kingdom of heaven. The kingdom has been, or we have been transferred into his kingdom, right? We have been transferred into his church. Uh, the book of Revelation also makes mention of this a couple of times. Uh, the Apostle John writes in uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, and he has made us to be a kingdom. Uh, verse 9, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom. Right? The, the kingdom has been established uh, by the time Paul and the Apostle John are writing these letters. While Jesus on earth, it hasn't. Right? But Acts chapter 2, it's established and now it's here. At just as he promised, just as he makes mention, um, it's still not, a th you know, again, as some teach that the kingdom hasn't been established yet, uh, we see that, you know, Jesus says it has, or that it was going to in those days. You know, again, there's this doctrine of, uh, you know, maybe you've heard of premillennialism. You know, it's, it's uh, this uh, doctrine that, um, that Christ is going to come back and he's going to come back and establish a thousand-year reign on this earth. Uh, you know, this is going to take part during the rapture. Again, that, that they would teach that. And, uh, and it says, you know, the kingdom has not been established yet. But again, that's the point we want to make is that, you know, Paul and John says the kingdom is here. Jesus said the kingdom will be here uh, within those short years, right? That, that, that some of those standing will still be alive when that happens. So... Again, uh, you know, do you think the apostles truly understood all that Jesus was telling them about the kingdom and his death and the second coming? No, we, we, we see that obviously that the answer is no. And, and do you and I understand uh, everything concerning uh, God's will? No. Well, right. We have the scriptures that tell us all that God wants us to know, right? Uh, what's Peter say? Everything pertaining to life and godliness, right, that, that we have been provided with. And so it's important for us to study the scriptures, as Danny says, so that we can know uh, that will and uh, be prepared for those things. And so um, we got through that lesson uh, pretty well. I think we're about out of time. And so on Wednesday evening, we will go to another great account in the scriptures of the transfiguration and you got Elijah and Moses and Jesus all conversing with one another. And it's such a powerful, powerful passage. And 
Uh, I look forward to studying that with you. And I think Mr. Ricky's got our uh, prayer for us at this time.